0: Hello and welcome to Open Door Films. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Fountain, a podcasting app that lets you send satoshis to your favorite creators. In addition to that, you can actually earn satoshis while you listen to your favorite podcasters. That's right. Not only can you support them in a much more financially efficient way than the Patreon model, but you're actually going to be paid to listen to podcasts you already enjoyed. except it's on Fountain as opposed to Apple or Spotify. Granted, that's why I still turn to Spotify to listen to my man Joe Rogan even though I don't personally know him, and yet I'm calling my man. Anyway, for those of you who are eager to earn some extra money while you listen to your favorite podcasts and develop new creativity hacks, not new productivity hacks, although that does involve some creativity, check out Fountain and the link I left down below. And now we move on to the second sponsor of this podcast, which is Anchor. It's a podcasting platform for podcasters, really, because if you're looking to be creative and start your own podcast, but you feel it daunting because you got to publish it on each individual platform, well, Anchor changes that because it, by simplifying, well, it essentially it simplifies it because one, you can actually record yourself and then just publish it on Anchor, and it'll distribute it across all the other platforms out there, whether we're talking Apple, Spotify, Fountain, Lisbon, CurioCaster, Podfreeze, the whole shebang, and that's a word I never got tired of, of uttering. Anyway, I want to talk about my guest today, Bridget Yang. She's a writer, director, and film overall filmmaker, as well as a poet, which was something I found fascinating because... I've mentioned before in this podcast that I write poetry on my Substack, which you should check out if you're looking for an intellectually stimulating read. And that's something we talked about in addition to film, because I've always felt that some people try and categorize poetry or try to simplify it in a way words where, where they apply a scientific approach to it. And I feel that that's counterintuitive to the more instinctual nature of poetry. And in addition to trying to weave that into her own filmmaking, I found something else interesting about Bridget's approach to filmmaking and own fascination, which delved into the area of horror. Now, it's no surprise that the horror genre is making somewhat of a comeback, but it's even being redefined, because even some films are not necessarily traditional horror films, or even horror sh- films in the sense of, of genre categorization ask questions that are far more terrifying than the, half the shit you see in a horror film. And no, jump scares do not count as something to be put in a horror film anymore. I think jump scares are total bullshit. Anyway, I hope you check out Bridget's profile, as well as her company, Lucky Rabbit Pictures. I hope you check out the the film she mentioned in our discussion. In addition to that, I just hope you all enjoy this episode of Open Door Films, because it was relatively short due to time constraints, although I am excited to tell that I will be interviewing Bridget again very soon in the future, along with the rest of her team. Anyway, enjoy the show, folks. Okay, Bridget, thank you for taking the time out of your day to do this interview. And uh, in addition to your work in film, I was actually fascinated to learn that you're involved in poetry. And why don't we start talking about that? Because I myself write poetry, and I've always had a very, just an introspective look of poetry in the sense that a lot of people try and categorize it, which becomes problematic. And uh, I guess I wanted to ask, what do you think about that?
1: Um, yeah, I I guess to begin, I started off in poetry before I um, really fully dove into film. Growing up, I was always reading a lot, writing a lot, and in high school and for a majority of college, um, I focused primarily on pursuing poetry, not as a full-time career, but it was just my favorite thing to do. Um, in high school, I would perform spoken word poetry at like high school assemblies and other events in California. Um, I worked for an organization called Get Lit. Um, And now currently I work with a poetry organization called Youth Speaks. So poetry has been a big part of my life for a long time. And um, now that I'm diving into film, I hope to kind of transition and incorporate some of that background into what I do now. Um, In terms of people putting poetry into a box, um, I definitely agree. I feel like a lot of the times people think of spoken word and they immediately think of like slam poetry um, and they have a certain idea of it. Um, or they think of the poems you read in school that are like super boring from like um, years and decades ago but I think poetry should be something that's like accessible for everyone Um, and it doesn't have to be such a box and thing that only certain people can write or um, indulge in.
0: Do you think it has it's because of that instinctual quality of it that it is so unique that it can't be categorized?
1: Um, I think so yeah it's so broad and there's so many different kinds of poetry that I definitely think that um, it shouldn't be boxed in.
0: Do you feel do you feel that you've incorporated your your instinct for poetry into your in your filmic in your film work?
1: Um, I would say so I think poetry has taught me to be economically efficient with my language, especially when I'm trying to write scripts nowadays, I really focus on what is definitely necessary instead of filling up the page with like a bunch of fluff or filler words. Um, And I think even like on the screen, like being more intentional with every cinematic choice I make, I think poetry taught me a lot about that.
0: But does that instinctual quality resonate with with your filmmaking? Because I mean, when I think of poetry mixed with film, I guess it's, in, it's hard not to think filmmakers like Terrence Malick, because when you think about the works he's made, there is something poetic about the style, not just the style, but just the story. Well, if you can, the strange approach he has to storytelling, that it operates more like a poem rather than an actual traditional narrative. And I'm just curious if you've, if you've ever weaved your poetry into your filmmaking in a similar fashion, or at least thought about it in that sense.
1: I've definitely thought about it. Um, One of my first little video projects I made was actually a poem that I incorporated with like some clips of different music videos I enjoyed watching and I added a soundtrack and that was one of my favorite videos I've ever made. Um, I think now that I'm still so new to film, actually, I feel like I'm still trying to figure out what my style is or how exactly I want to incorporate um, my poetry into film, but it's definitely something like I think about a lot.
0: What approaches have you taking to get a better sense of the style that resonates with you more?
1: Um, I think being a better artist in any medium just means consuming a lot of art in that medium. I'm trying to watch a lot of movies, um, read a lot of books. Right now, I my film production company and I, we have like a group chat below just like inspirational things we send each other like if it's a movie we watched recently that we really like um we'll like send each other movie recommendations or we'll send each other like TED talks we listen to um or like podcast episodes and things like that so I would say surrounding myself with creative energy has definitely been helping me work towards that
0: Mm. and are there any particular genres that you've been drawn to so far in your exploration
1: Um, I think recently, oddly enough, I would say horror. Um, Growing up, I always didn't like scary movies or watch horror that much. But I think going into film has forced me to become a little bit more open minded. So um, I'm actually a little bit more interested in horror nowadays.
0: And what do you see as horror within film, really? Because that term has changed over a period of time. And not just because the horror genre is becoming more popular, but because I feel that even films that are not necessarily horror genre in the traditional sense carry elements of horror that make them even more terrifying than the traditional horror film. I mean, nobody cares for the jump scare anymore, but I'm talking about something just like, say, a science fiction fiction film that introduces new ideas and just forces you to ask questions that are really terrifying if you linger on them too long and I'm curious as as to whether you look at horror in that same sense or just in a more traditional sense.
1: Um, I would say, I think to me personally, the scariest thing about horror and the direction I kind of see it taking is I feel like it's become a lot more nuanced. And um, I feel like the scariest thing to me about horror, anything related to that genre is that um, I like watching films that showcase what could possibly happen in our own lives um like for black mirror i know that isn't horror but one thing i really like about it is that it's scary in the way of it feels like it could happen in the near future and some of the things feel like it's already been happening so that's kind of how i see um horror for me personally
0: mm. that's very it's very interesting you bring that up because i recently i haven't read any of jg ballard's novels but i did see a film that was adapted from his novel high rise with uh, tom iddelson it's really just about humanity's relationship with technology and how we've become so dependent on technology that we become dysfunctional. And as part of that dysfunction, we might succumb to a form of animalistic madness that it resonates with a quote he said. I don't know if he said it from High Rise directly or another one of his great novels, because his novels just talk about dystopian outcomes as a result of our industrialized progression. He said The only sanity, no, madness is the only rational response in a sane, in what is declared a sane society. And uh, well, High Rise takes a similar approach. And I guess the greatest horror for me is stories that present questions that you're afraid to confront because you don't know what kind of answer you would give.
1: Definitely. I definitely agree with that.
0: And are there any exam? Have you seen any films that make you think in that in that similar fashion? Um. Outside of just Black Mirror, because that was a TV show, but I think did they make a film on Black Mirror yet? Or
1: they didn't make a film, but it wasn't really related to that. I think they made a film called Bandersnatch, and it's kind of like a choose your own adventure type film, mm. which I watched, but um, I didn't think it was that good, honestly. Really? Um, Yeah, I didn't think it was that great, but I really liked the concept that they tried to execute. Mm. I feel like I haven't seen any, like choose your own adventure type movies before. Um, But I have watched um, a movie called The Barbarian recently. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, Yeah, but that one I watched recently and I really enjoyed it. I feel like that one was a very good example of something that could happen in our own lifetime or like it could be happening right now, which I thought was like very scary on top of just the whole fact that um, the movie itself, like in the plot was like absolutely terrifying. But yeah.
0: What are there any things in the current culture that do scare you in a sense that you think they could make for great storytelling or just they they leave you with a sense of uncertainty that you're just more curious as to how to approach them?
1: um that's a good question I feel like there's nothing specifically in movies that I've seen but I have been talking to um, my friends a lot about how AI is becoming such a big thing and I always have this like back of my head fear that AI is going to be able to um replicate what like artists do like You can have a robot writing amazing movie scripts and creating movies and suddenly we're all going to lose our jobs. And I think that's a very scary thing related to technology that I see happening in the very foreseeable future.
0: Yeah, because in many ways, not only would it make artists irrelevant and and even more unemployed than they already are, but just the idea that people would focus more of their attention on that type of artistry as opposed to the artistry of people who actually suffered uh, both psychologically and intellectually in crafting their work. It w- makes you wonder what kind of insanity would it drive artists towards, because the idea that you're even irrelevant, I mean, it g- makes me go back to high rise, if you watch that film, and if you its a, you check it out, I think it's still on Amazon Prime, it f- terrified me, it's kind of depressing, it's kind of entertaining of how manic it is, but the fact that all these people living in this, high, in this technologically advanced complex just go insane once it starts to fall apart, showcases that it's not an exaggeration. I mean, you mean, look at the idea of the smartphone we've become so dependent on. it; It's becoming integrated with many of the functions of our society that even going out without it is considered crazy. I run every morning and I don't take my smartphone with me because one, I still think humanity was a shit show in the 90s before we had smartphones so I figured nothing's really going to change I mean things are going to happen with with out running without your phone but still any other activity like going out to run an errand, you still need it just in case
1: mm-hmm. definitely
0: because it's not even really a phone it's a supercomputer
1: yeah definitely
0: and uh are there aside aside from artificial intelligence what do you think what do you think that subject really delves into because one thing I've noticed is that some of the smartest minds out there, whether you're talking about Elon Musk or Sam Harris, they talk, they bring up the fact about the dangers of AI. And yet, it seems like humanity is still reluctant to drop it. It seems like we're more focused on progressing with it and wonder what does does that make you think about the subject overall?
1: Yeah, I think that definitely is extremely scary to me. Um, Even though I feel like every single year, we have more and more um, concern about the dangers of technology. It's like we keep progressing towards it and want to make it faster and more efficient um, and seeing how to incorporate more of it into our lives. So that is like a scary future I see, but I also don't really know if there's a way around that or if we would ever go back in time and kind of go back the other way.
0: Yeah, I was list- actually listening to a recent podcast of Joe Rogan when he talked with a, a pilot and there, and similar subject. I mean, the similar thing we were talking about came up about how if we were just to stop progressing technologically, maybe we'd be fine, but that's never going to happen because we can't help ourselves. And I think that says something more terrifying about us than about just the subject of AI because for all we know, the AI, AI could probably be much more peaceful than we are if it ever evolved to such a level.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: But then again, you have the idea of the AI being intelligent enough to see that we're a danger to ourselves. And I mean, that's a scenario that's been presenting presented in movies so many times that you just we just don't know where AI is going to be. And we don't even know when this supposed singularity will take place because there are many guesses that it's just going to happen in the 2040s at some point. Mm. But any are there any other films that you've seen that that make you that make that well increase your fascination with the horror genre?
1: Um, Not as of late, I feel like I'm still trying to watch more of that genre since I've been closed off to it for so long. So I still need to even like watch, honestly, some of the classics. Um, So yeah, not as of right now.
0: What do you consider the classics?
1: Um, I don't know, like I haven't even seen like The Shining yet, which, I feel like I just have to watch. Um, and yeah, or just like the classics in film in general. I feel like I, compared to all my other um, coworkers in the company, I feel like I'm still the, like the newest or the most beginner at it. So I feel like there's a lot of like catching up I have to do.
0: Well, tell me more about your company and your coworkers and what types of film, what types of filmmaking are you involved with?
1: Yeah, so I'm part of a company called Lucky Rabbit Pictures. Um, We're a production company based in the Bay Area, and currently there's four of us. Um, My friend Spencer is the one who founded it. And then there's me, who I usually like AD on most of the projects. And then um, our DP is named Min. He goes to Berkeley. Um, and then Viraj is a sophomore actually in college um, at USF and he's doing our like social media marketing right now. So it's just the, the four of us and we do like short films, commercials, music videos. Um, yeah. So we're kind of doing like a range of different kinds of production right now.
0: Are you, Are do you have any plans for anything more feature length based?
1: Um, definitely in the future. We actually won a $10,000 grant recently to um, produce a TV pilot, which we're going to start working on right now. Um, but in the future, future lengths are definitely our goal. Oh,
0: that's nice. Congratulations. And uh, aside from that, are there any other genres besides horror that you've wanted to explore eventually after you do burn out your fascination with horror because when it comes to my experience in binging in a particular subject or genre in film you eventually just move on to the next one I'm curious are there any other genres that have attracted your attention
1: I feel like nothing in particular right now I think I'm trying to let myself be really open-minded with um, anything that kind of like inspires me I feel like Um, if I just focus too much on a singular genre I think in one way it's good because I learn a lot about that genre Mm. uh, but at the same time I don't want to box myself in my creative limits I definitely want to explore what different genres have to offer and kind of see like which one pulls me to it the most I also feel like at different stages of my life our identities are constantly changing and one thing that I like now may not be what I like in the future so I'm just trying to honor kind of how like fluctuating my interests are right now. I guess.
0: Are there any genres that you just try, just generally want to avoid for any particular reason, or because they just just there's just some sub like some subjects they tackle that might not be attractive, or because I, I know for me the fam the family film is something I'm just not really into because I think it just plays it too safe and doesn't take any real risks. But that depends on what you label a family film.
1: That's a good question. I feel like maybe, I don't think I ever see myself doing anything related to reality TV, probably. Yeah. Um, I think anything straight up comedy, maybe not. Um, I would love to be able to like weave comedy in a more subtle, nuanced way into whatever I create. But I think creating something with the sheer purpose of just making people laugh uh, without any depth to it um, is something I think I want to stray away from.
0: It's interesting you bring up comedy because there's so many styles in comedy and how it's being reinterpreted to, in the present moment. That I'm curious: are there any styles of comedy you like the most? Because the recent, I mean, I, I mean, a few months ago, I started watching Ricky Gervais's Afterlife, which is obviously a very British style of comedy. I've always had a taste for that. But where do you, your taste in comedy lie? In
1: um, I really like comedy that's very subtle and like you don't really think about it as one of the main elements of like a show or film. For example, um, a show I've really been loving, two shows I've really been loving recently are Atlanta and Rami. And I feel like those shows weave in comedy so well in like a nuanced way, but they're not outright where you have like the laughing track in the back. Um, And I think that's like my favorite kind of comedy when it's like interwoven really and subtly into like the dialogue with characters.
0: What do you think about the laugh track overall? Because I actually spoke one of my previous guests I interviewed and she told me about how there was a a time where there was a necessity for the laugh track, but I always carry a very... I understand it's a live audience, but I just feel that somehow there's something very cynical and even demeaning about the laugh track being included when they demonstrate the show and put it on on TV, the episode that was recorded, because... It's like kind of tell it's kind of like a, a talk show. It's reminding you you have to clap at this particular moment just as much as you have to and know that this moment is funny when the comedy should resonate with itself. Obviously, there are exceptions. I mean, Seinfeld is going to be funny one way or the other, whether there is a laugh track or not. But uh, what do you think about the laugh track overall? Do you think there are exceptions?
1: Um, I don't know. I think for me personally, I have never really enjoyed the laugh track. I can't remember. The last time I watched something with the laugh track and thought it was absolutely necessary for it to be part of um, whatever I was watching. Um, I remember like years ago, I would like to watch like the Big Bang Theory with my dad sometimes. And I stopped watching it because I got so annoyed by how often the laugh track was. I feel like the laugh track kind of takes you out of it. and. Sometimes I like, or most of the time I like watching something and feeling like I'm the only person in the room or I'm the only one connecting with that story in the moment. Um, And I feel like the laugh track definitely like takes me out of that feeling.
0: It certainly hurts that in addition to the fact that it stereotypes the idea of the nerd so much so that it's like a constant reminder that the references they're making are much more incremental than the characters.
1: Yeah, and I feel like it also forces you to think about your own sense of I think your own sense of humor because then if you don't laugh at a part but the laugh track goes on it I feel like it makes you like rethink how you approach and how you view the certain type of art you're watching um, when I think the audience members should come to that conclusion themselves.
0: I've had these discussions before of other guests about the way we consume art and how do you feel about the way culture how culture is being conditioned to consume art because I doubt you're a fan of Rotten Tomatoes. I doubt you turn to Rotten Tomatoes to determine whether a film you like is good or not. But the fact that in many ways, people still do in a way where even the art has an impact, because I mean, we can take, for example, many of the films within the Marvel universe, they always get good reviews regardless of what, what, for the most part. But if you were to compare it to a much more auteur-based film, you'd probably see a much more divisive response despite that there's a higher quality of filmmaking in that auteur film as opposed to something straight out of Marvel. And does that alarm you that films of a bigger scale like that actually shape the way people think as opposed to letting them think for themselves?
1: Definitely. I feel like everything moves so fast nowadays that our attention spans are growing shorter and shorter that everyone, including me, we're just scared of wasting our time. Um, Like, even for me, before I watch something, like, I'll most likely look at the reviews or I'll at least watch a trailer first and kind of scroll, maybe quickly through, like, the comments of what other people think and if it's worth my time watching. Um, On the one hand, it is kind of nice because I feel like I'm less likely to pick something that I don't really like watching, but at the same time, I definitely agree that I feel like we should just be able to choose for ourselves um, what we want to watch and whether or not we enjoy it without worrying too much about what other people think and letting that influence our own
0: taste. My fear is that it objectifies the type of culture, especially the types, and objectifies the type of culture that that consumes this kind of content. Basically, where both the both the people behind these projects and even the audiences that consume and support them to a certain extent are working in a way supporting each other yet corrupting each other in a sense. I guess the perf- a perfect example of this would be the whole subject of cancel culture of what's considered appropriate and within a film that they include many elements that are forced, like a, for- a forced form of inclusivity r- that kind of even dehumanizes the particular group they're addressing rather than allowing them to have some sense of dignity. I hope that makes sense.
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: And that's just my greatest fear, and uh, I don't know what what examples you might have witnessed that demonstrates this. But I guess the I guess the clearest example I have, and even though I did like the most recent Spider Man film, no far from uh, No Way Home, the one before that left me feeling so empty. And One example I thought felt that it was catering to a particular audience was that they placed an actor I really like in in a role where he didn't do anything. Just and I think. And I, as I hope this doesn't come off as racist, but it's because he's Black, even though he's a talented comedian, yet he was given nothing to do.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I just felt that that was like, a, like a, a part of that cancel culture that includes this forced inclusivity that doesn't really consider the feelings of that group, but and even creates a victim mentality for them. Mm. And, that wor- and that does worry me, this idea of creating a victim mentality among groups rather than seeing the real humanity behind them.
1: Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree that I think cancel culture is becoming really big and like such. <laughs> excuse me, a toxic um, thing, and I feel like people are so easy to like point fingers nowadays rather than sitting back and like thinking for themselves whether or not um, what they're believing is actually the truth.
0: What may I ask? Do you what? Where, where do you think cancel culture started from? Because that to me is feels like a new phenomenon that I've gained a greater awareness of because. I can understand the rage of some groups as opposed to some issues within the culture but where do you think it really started that it's become so prominent that nowadays everybody even has to watch what they say that even one small comment can ruin their career within seconds.
1: Yeah, I I'm not 100% sure where the origin of cancel culture comes from but I definitely think it became a really big thing when social media became like such a big part of everyone, everyone's lives. Um, nowadays, anybody can become an influencer, anybody can gain a following. And because of that, I feel like everybody as an individual just in general has more eyes on them. And I think that's what fosters a sense of like, extra caution, or just like a fear that someone's going to look at you and um, find something that you said, even from like years ago, and um, yeah, can like ruin careers over that especially because on the internet, I think like everything lives, like a lot of people say that everything lives forever. um, And so it is so easy for someone to pull back something that was archived years and years ago, like an audio clip or something that someone said and easily like ruin someone's reputation.
0: May I ask, since you said you have a film company and you have a side that handles social media, how do you approach social media without bordering on any danger zones? Because I understand that Yes, you do have to market. social media can be a very useful marketing tool, but do you impose limits on your on the on the way you approach it? Because even with the idea of social media with the most popular platforms, there's also the dangers of the algorithm and the data accumulation that I've seen arise in more decentralized approaches.
1: Yeah, definitely. I feel like it's definitely a balance. I'm still trying to figure out myself. Um, I heard I know, like, For me personally, Instagram, it started off as just like a personal, fun photo diary to share with friends. But um, now that I'm trying to become a full-time creative, I feel like I feel this obligation to always post my work as well and kind of treat it as a resume. Um, So there's definitely a balance I'm still trying to work out of how much to share with the world and how much to keep for myself.
0: Have you looked into the more decentralized platforms that work as alternatives to Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram?
1: Um, I haven't. Do you mind naming a couple like examples you're talking about?
0: Yes, but I should warn you that there's been like a misconception that they're associated with right-wing people just because right-wing people now feel like they're being silenced. I'm not right-wing or left. I consider myself politically agnostic, but I do like that you can post anything you want on platforms like Getter, The Mastodon, or even Minds.com, which means that none of your content can be censored. And I think even Substack as a platform is very helpful, especially for creatives like us, because say you wanted to publish something like your poetry or a short story, you still own the content in a sense. And even if, you no, know, for me, I found it very useful to publish my short film scripts on Substack, because even though I'm not a filmmaker, I'm more of a screenwriter. If anybody ever wanted to purchase it there, at least there's a chance I'd still, well, I mean, I'd still own the content, but I guess my, I guess I'm just getting at is like all those screenwriting websites like blacklist, or I think the screenwriters workshop, my problem with them is that you're already being ignored by agents. So, and you don't own the content, so you might as well own it for free on Substack and be ignored there.
1: I haven't heard of any of those sites, but I'll look into them.
0: Well, over the, I mean, over the course of time, I guess cancel culture has played a role in the formation of these sites because I mean, I, As much as I didn't like President Donald Trump, I don't believe he should have been censored on Twitter. I mean, the fact that the president of the United States can be censored by a tech platform is very dangerous as to how much power a company like that can have. And it gave, it obviously increased the awareness of platforms that work as alternatives to Twitter or Facebook. Mm, That's
1: a very good point, that's true.
0: And, uh, yeah, so just, if you do check out those platforms, I figured they could be very helpful because my estimation is they're going to continue to rise and increase in popularity, especially with now censorship becoming a topic of conversation when even a comedian when comedian, especially this year, when comedians were assault, a lot of them were either verbally assaulted or physically assaulted just for expressing views that people didn't agree with. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I guess I want to ask, in addition, in addition to, are there any other projects that you're working on at the moment that you'd like to discuss?
1: Um, yeah, I guess in my last couple of minutes, I can talk about what we're working on right now. Um, but right now we're... Finishing up a documentary for San Francisco's Chinatown. Um, we're currently working with CCDC, which is the Chinese Community Development Center, um, to do a documentary on the organization, what they do for SF's Chinatown for mm-hmm. their 45th anniversary gala. Um, and then we're also starting on a music video for an artist named Pluto Mars. So that will probably be filmed in like November, December, and we're really excited about that. Um, and
0: then- oh, god! Sorry. Sorry. Sorry.
1: um good and then yeah i think those are the the main two things we're focusing on right now aside from working on a tv pilot that we're hoping to film at the beginning of next year so yeah we definitely have like a bunch of different things going on i could also talk about that more um with my team if we want to do a future interview with them
0: oh yes it, please i would love to interview your t- in your team as soon as possible i mean I mean, after this interview is done, we can you could I can send you an email and you just let me know when you and your team could get around the time to do an interview all together, a group interview. I mean, and yeah, I'll send, and I'll send an invite.
1: That sounds great.
0: Well, Bridget, I want to thank you again for giving me the time of your day to do this. I wish we could have spoken for a longer period of time, but uh I was still I, I really appreciate for the time you gave me to do this interview. I'll make sure to send it your way once I upload it on my podcast and uh, I'll make sure to include the links you provided for me already and, uh, I'll, yeah, and I'll keep you posted, okay?
1: Okay, hey, that sounds great. Thank you so much.
0: You're welcome. You have a nice day.
1: You too, bye.